The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Hi, welcome back to those who've come back. Um, first of all, who's new here tonight for the first time? Can I have a show of hands? One, two, two people. Any other hands? No, two. Welcome. Welcome. Great. And also a show of hands of who's come to one or two of the previous series. Quite a few people. Okay, great. We have continuity. Awesome. So I can, I can quiz you. No, I'm just kidding. I'm not going to put you on the spot. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> um, so, um, so tonight's talk is third one in a series of four talks on um, the Satipatthana Sutta, uh, the four foundations of mindfulness. So the first week, we did a little bit of an intro to the, to the whole sutta and, and talked about the first foundation, which is attending to the body and various contemplations about the body, which, which are the, 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 the easiest courses to perhaps contemplations. Uh, the second week, we covered the second and third uh, foundation of mindfulness. The second one, okay, here I'm going to quiz you. Anyone remember what the second one was? Yes, feeling tone, yes. The third one, mind states. Yeah, exactly, thank you. So we covered those. They were briefer in the second week. And tonight we're going to cover part of the fourth foundation. So the fourth foundation of mindfulness is known as the dhammas. Dhammas also translated as mental objects. And I remember someone asked, I think you asked the first week, what are mental objects? What, what is this thing? Okay, well, tonight we'll talk about some of them. Uh, it's, it's a, there are a lot of instructions on the mental objects. So tonight we'll cover two of them, and next week we'll cover the other three, and, and, and we'll wrap up. So, so with having said that, so dhammas or mental or mind objects. So um, they're translated as mind objects, and, and um, some people take them as objects that the mind will take. So, so in, in um, Buddhist psychology, as you know, there are six door senses. We have the regular five door senses of seeing and smelling and tasting and hearing and touching, and there's a sixth uh, sixth uh, sense, which is the mind door, which is uh, the mind, you know, very, the various objects can show up in the mind or various memories, various, for example, sounds. You may not hear a sound, but you might remember a sound from your childhood. There may not actually be a smell, uh, uh, there not, may not be a rose, but you might remember the smell of a rose in your mind. So, so various objects can show up in, in the mind. Um, so that's why there are six, six senses. In Buddhism, so so some people translate the mind objects as objects that can show up in the mind. But but Bikonalio, who's who's my source here, uh, it's a great book if if you want in-depth analysis of, of the Satipatthana Sutta. He thinks that actually a better way to think about what mind objects are as a category uh, is is not 
objects that the mind takes because as part of this group, there, there are five mind objects, as I will get to, and one of them are actually sen- uh, uh, the five, have to do with the five sense doors. And the five sense doors, as we just discussed, are different from the sixth door, which is the mind door. So, so in that way, you know, you, mind objects cannot just be the objects that the mind takes because included in this categorization, we already have the five sense doors, which doesn't, you know, doesn't quite make sense. Um, so the way he suggests, if that, if that didn't quite make sense to you, no, never mind. I'm just going to offer something that is going to make sense in a moment. Um, so what he thinks the way to construe mental objects is actually, uh, um, or mind objects, is, is really a framework or a point of reference, a way for the mind to work with, with contemplations. Um, so what does that mean? In a way, um, say, say, with... with uh, for those of you who, who work with computers and algorithm, the way to work with things, or, or those of who you, those uh, those who cook, it's a recipe. So how to apply? You know, okay, you do this and then you do that. You know, there's a there's a framework, right? There's a framework to work with, with a particular contemplations. Um, so thinking about them in terms of frameworks, it makes much more sense. So, so hold that thought. If you have a question like, what does she mean about frameworks? It becomes clear as I talk about some of the examples of of these mental mind objects and what this framework is that is offered as contemplation in the sutta. Fair? Okay, and if it doesn't become clear, please ask me, hold, hold me to it. Okay, so, so with that, um, uh, so okay, so what are, what are the, the uh, five contemplations that are in this basket of uh, the five mind objects. So the five contemplations are contemplating the five hindrances, which we did tonight. If you noticed in the guided meditation, I suggested that you investigate whether there was desire in the mind, wanting, whether there was ill will, not liking, whether there was sleepiness, sloth and torpor in the mind, whether there was worry, restlessness in the mind, and finally doubt. So those are the five hindrances. So investigating those in a particular way that we'll talk more about in a moment. Then there is inve- uh, contemplating the five aggregates. Um, and I will talk more about that. So right now I'm just going to give you the list. Uh, the five hindrances, the five aggregates, um, the six sense fears that I just mentioned, Listening, seeing, smelling, tasting, touching, and the um, and the mind door, the seven awakening factors, um, which is mindfulness, uh, dhamma vichaya, which is investigation of the dhammas. Again, these become clear as I talk about them in more detail. So I, I even hesitate to give you the list because it just seems very mental. So just take okay, just take it that there are lots of different contemplations that we'll talk about in more detail, and things become more clear. Um, so, I, just to finish, okay, so just to finish the list of seven awakening factors and the last one being the, the Four Noble Truths. So, this week, so today, we're going to talk about the five hindrances and the five aggregates. And, and we'll make sense of them and we'll talk about examples of how actually to investigate them both on the cushion and in real life, in daily life. And next week, we'll talk about the six sense fears, seven awakening factors, and four noble truths. Don't you love all these lists, all these Buddhist lists, five of this, six of that, seven of the other one? So, 
So with that intro to know what ground we're going to cover today, and now we're going to slow down and, and cover ground and, and open it to, to conversation. So um, actually I'm going to pause here now. Now that you know today we're going to basically just talking about the contemplations that I led in, um, in the guided meditation, which were the five hindrances. And also I, I invited you to also um, check the changing sensations in the body or sounds, noticing change, right? So there were contemplations um, where whether hindrances were present, if they were present, what gave rise to them, if you could see that. If they were not present, then rejoicing in that they were absent, right? So that was one set of contemplations. And the other one at the very end was noticing change. Do sensations feel the same? Are they changing? Are sounds the same changing? So, I'd like to take a moment of pause right now and open the floor and invite you to share what you noticed while you went through these contemplations. Um, and that could be a jumping point for, for our conversation. So, you noticed anything. I'm sure you noticed a lot. So, you would be willing to share something. For me, uh, my physical sensations made it kind of hard to follow. I, I was very much focused on my legs feeling kind of numb, so it was hard for me to follow along with the instructions, even though I was trying. So, so the mind was was really dealing with the with the numbness, with the sensation. Pulling toward that, uh-huh. you know, even though I was trying to bring it back to the instructions. That happens. Great. That happens. Just noticing that that's that's what was happening. So being aware aware of that. Great. Fine. Thanks. Any other observations? Yeah. I can say that I had every single hindrance. And <laughs> all right. Collect I, them all. Yeah. I, I I don't think I remember two of them though. Um, and I think it was maybe after torpor. I may have just faded out and I don't think I remember the worry or the doubt cue that you may have given. I don't even remember you giving that prompt. But um, with, the, with the wanting, I, felt, I started feeling hindered by thinking about hindrances. And I thought that was very interesting and didn't know what to think about that. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So, so the fact that you were contemplating about hindrances, just bringing that up in and of itself... Was was making the mind kind of anxious. Yeah. Yeah. I was I was I wasn't getting settled the way I usually do. Yeah, 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 yeah. And and then I it, it, I don't usually kind of blank out and and I did because I don't remember. You you mentioned that you did worry and doubt, but I don't even remember you doing that. That's very weird to me. Yeah. Interesting. There's a very good point in what you said. Um, and actually, let me raise it now, and I'll raise it again later, too. So there's something about whatever you, you make the, um, whatever you give attention to comes up more, mm-hmm. right? Whatever you really give attention to. And not just, in, in this case, it was momentary, momentary attention, but it also works with if you give attention to something over and over and over and over again, then it becomes the proclivity of your mind. Uh, we'll talk more about that, but that's interesting that, that as you were contemplating hindrances, they just kept coming out of the woodwork, right? I, I asked her to look for them, and sure enough, they were there, right? Otherwise, yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, interesting. Yeah, thank you for that. Any other observations? Any other hindrances? Anybody? Any hindrances? No? No hindrances? (laughs) Right. Oh, no, actually, it would help for the people who are wearing the um, earpieces. A simple question, are there alternatives when there's hindrance? Alternatives in terms of are we simply observing the hindrances? Ah, I will talk about that more. So, yes, yes, we are observing and there there are antidotes. Yes, you're setting me up for part of the talk, but yes. Which is good. I'll be talking about that. So, uh, any other comments? Any other observations? Anyone about the... Yes. I'll speak up for torpor. Yes, torpor. Sometimes it's kind of a battle. Um, Just staying focused and the mind going off. I count to ten usually, then finding myself around 14 or 15, you know and smiling and just coming back to it. But in between, there's some periods of, like, incredible clarity and just peace. It's just kind of this in and out uh, of the torpor and then being clear. That's just the observation. Right, and um, I'll speak more about torpor, but but um, a pointer here that I just remembered is regarding... Um, when you said there are moments of clarity between these moments of, of, of torpor uh, or, or these periods of torpor. So there is one instruction as to how to deal with torpor, which is just give into it. Enjoy it. Enjoy, I mean, because whatever you resist, it becomes stronger. And sometimes if you just let go into, into sleepiness, you actually have a really short, brief, very refreshing nap which might just last a few seconds, and then the mind is absolutely clear. If I could add to it, when that happens, because I don't fight it, when that happens sometimes, I will, in fact, shift a position. And when that happens, and it's an instantaneous, I'm very awake and very focused, kind of to your point. Right, right, yeah, thank you. Out of curiosity, did anyone else tonight notice sleepiness? Show of hands. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. It's... It comes up, uh, especially given that it's whatever eight, almost eight thirty. We started at whatever it was around seven thirty-eight when we were doing the the, um, uh, the meditation after a long day. It, it's it's very common for it to come up. So, yeah. Any other comments? So I'm pretty new to meditation, and I'm definitely working on the breathing and focusing on the breathing but when you ask us to contemplate something i spiral out of control really quickly and then i kind of come back and i'm like can i just go back to breathing because i don't know how to (laughs) to think and not spiral out of control yeah um is that does that some is that something that comes later (laughs) yeah 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 so so i'm glad you brought that up because that can happen when when there is, uh, when there is not enough quiet and stability in the mind and there's a lot of power of investigation, a lot of, a lot of um, thinking can come up, which is why I tried to say it. I, I think I said it once and I didn't repeat it. And I said, well, you can stay with the breath, you can stay with the sensations of the body, and I'm going to offer these contemplations. Feel free to follow them or not. 
So in that case, you would have been very welcome to just go back to the breath and say, you know, this, I'm spiraling out, it's fine, I'll just go back to the breath. Perfectly fine, perfectly fine. Did you, and that's actually a part of developing wisdom for yourself, to know what is right for you at a given time. Because there might be a particular instruction that at a given time doesn't work for you. So developing that sense of trust that, you know, some other time I can do this contemplation, but right now what I need is stability of the mind and I need to stay with my breath. So I'm glad you asked that. And as you develop on the path, develop that sense of trust in you knowing what's best for you in a given moment. Thank you. Any other comments before I move on? Oh. Okay, well, we'll open it again later for comments. So, uh, so in terms of the hindrances, um, the idea is... Um, so now we know what the list is, and I will repeat the list uh, just in case we, we missed them. So um, sensual desire, uh, kamachanda, um, ill will, bayapada, sloth, and torpor, which, usually, which always show up in, as a pair, thina and mida, restless and remorse, I love the Pali word for these, um, udacha and kukucha, it's just like it has a sense of you know, like restlessness in it, and skeptical doubt. Vichikicha. Um, so, so the idea is not to crush the hindrances. And when you notice uh, there is a hindrance, the idea here obviously isn't well, not obvious, but the, the idea is not to crush them, but first of all, just to notice them. And um, what is a a an inju- a um, a brilliant way of instruction that the Buddha has has um, introduced in these investigations in, in these contemplations is that. The hindrances themselves, which are usually, I mean, um, just the word hindrance is something that blocks your practice, right? The hindrances become an object for contemplation. And if they're contemplated, um, if if they're seen, then they become uh, an object for the path to awakening. So the, the hindrances themselves become an object of awakening when you actually pay attention to them and you investigate them with, with wisdom. I think that's brilliant, right? Instead of just like shoving something out of the way and suppressing it, like you work with it. You, 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 you know, it becomes the focus of your attention. You really investigate it, which I think is just is brilliant. So, so um, just to say a little bit actually about um, the, um, the hindrances themselves, I think uh, a few of them are clear, but... The pairs, the sloth and torpor, the tenamida, I, I always wondered why they're sloth and torpor. Why, why do they always show up together? Um, what, what's one and what's the other? Any hint? Any, any ideas? Yeah. yeah. Well, I guess sloth is just laziness, maybe deriving from a lack of interest in uh, the matter at hand or what you're supposed to be doing. Mm-hmm. And, and torpor is trans toward drowsiness, uh, lack of energy. Mm-hmm. So they're similar, but, but maybe they're deriving from slightly different reasons. Yeah, they're a little different. And we had another comment there, and then I want to tell you what I found out. I'm not sure they're not connected, actually, that if yeah. you are feeling sloth, yeah. it may lead, in fact, to torpor. Right. 
Yeah, it's, they're interesting words in English. So, so, and yes, so they always show up together in the mind, which is why they're linked together. But I think as 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 our minds become more quiet and and we really get to notice them. So, so um, the first one, the, the the sloth is is really that lack of energy, that lack of drive in the mind, and and it is said that um, in 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 um, in Visuddhi uh, in in. Uh, um, uh, b- b- both Visuddhimagga and, and um, I'm blanking on the name. It'll come to me. Uh, that it, ref- it it applies to the to the consciousness. So when consciousness doesn't have an energy to really attend to something, is that lack of energy? And then the torpor uh, ap- applies to the mental factors that that basically they become kind of loose. They they become. Um, uh, they become unwieldy. So, so in terms of the way it shows up as an experience, it might be this kind of uh, drow- lack of energy in the mind, and then this unwieldiness of the mind. Just, it's kind of hard to, to, to bring it together. Anyway, I thought that was interesting. Um, and, and it's interesting to, to, to try to see them apart. And then um, the restlessness and, and worry. So um, restlessness shows up in, in the body. So when you investigate it, it's easiest to investigate restlessness in the body. And then, and then worry and remorse show up in the mind. And one of them is, has to do with, with past, and the other one has to do with the future events. So remorse is for things that you have done or you haven't done. And, um, uh, and worry is basically future-oriented, what if, what if. So... So um, I take it that we're all familiar with the hindrances, not just on the cushion, but also in daily life. So um, they're likened, I, I really like the, the similes, they're likened to um, a bowl full of water that's used for, uh, for seeing one's own image. Um, and with sensual desire, the water is mixed with dye, so it's a colored water. Right? So it's like having rose-colored glasses in a way, seeing everything with a sense of desire and wanting. Um, aversion is likened to the water uh, having brought to, uh, to boiling. So it really, the water is really boiling and hot. And that's aversion and ill will. It's like that sense of anger that, that's, um, that comes through from the simile. Sloth and torpor is water that's overgrown with algae. It's just really, really muddy. Uh, restless and worry is, is water that's steered by the wind. Uh, because it's, uh, again, that, that feeling of restlessness comes up. And doubt is like dark and muddy water. And um, so, so the use of these similes is, it is twofold, and I offer them to you in this way. So the use of the similes, both to get a, re- a, a visceral sense of what they're like, um, and um, and then to contemplate their absence, in terms of how n- noticing that a given um, uh, um, either you know uh, uh, either any of the five is absent in the mind, really rejoicing, and that's a way of working with them. So their absence to, is likened to. Um, being delivered from debt for sensual desire, if you stop having sensual desire, if you've had really strong sensual desire and then it stops, it's as if you're in debt and then it stops. Aversion uh, is likened to recovering from physical illness. And I really like that 
especially, you know, when you know, uh, if you remember if you've been really upset or angry at someone, and then you stopped. I mean, that sense of, ah, freedom in the body. Um, Sloth and torpor is likened to being freed from prison. Um, Agitation of restless and worry is like being liberated from slavery. Nice one, yeah. And overcoming doubt is likened to crossing in dangerous uh, deserts safely. So, um, so there are different ways to, to deal with, with each and every particular one. I mean, the first, the first thing to do is just to notice the hindrances. Just to notice. Not try to change, not try to suppress, not to try to crush. But by just bringing attention uh, to a hindrance, um, that in and of itself softens it. And, and makes it disappear. And there are the, the various stories uh, in the sutta about Mara, which is the personification of these hindrances, that whenever the Buddha notices Mara, notices one of these hindrances, Mara just disappears, poof, goes away. So just by noticing that, for example, you have ill will, um, it can go away. Because what can often happen... Um, and see if you can identify with this, is sometimes we just go through our daily life with, um, say, grumbling, and we're not even noticing that we're having the sense of aversion to various things. Has anyone ever noticed that? Is it just me? or Can I have a show of hands? Yeah. So, And then all of a sudden, you notice, wait, wait, wait a minute, where is my mind? And that moment when you notice where your mind is, is really the moment of, of freedom, of clarity. Uh, and it can happen for, for any of the hindrances, either on the cushion, when you really become face-to-face with them, or in daily life. Um, there's also... Um, the way to work with them is through antidotes. So for each one, there is a set of antidotes. So for, say, um, sensual desire, the antidote would be, well, with sensual desire, there's usually an object of desire outside of ourselves that, that, we, that we want. So the example, for example, if, if, if it's the case of lust, and there is someone, say, from the opposite gender that, that, that the sense of lust is coming up, well, let's go back to uh, some of the contemplations from the first week uh, from the body. Does anyone remember what they might have been? Yeah, I know this is a quiz time. Yeah. Contemplation of corpse. Yes, con- contemplation of corpse. Yes, yeah, thank you. So, <laughs> so if you imagine your object of desire as a corpse, a decaying corpse, it's not going to be very attractive. Okay, so, so that's the, there's another one. There's another one. So that's, that's the last resort. The corpse is the last resort if it's just not working. There's another one, if anyone else remembers it. Was it? Was that? Oh, that's a part of it. Yeah, there's the 32 parts of the body, contemplation. So basically contemplating the, um, it just, it's just the body. You know, this attractive person that you see is just head hair, body hair, skin, 
uh, intestines, lung. You just really decom- it just like, realize it's just the body. It's just the body. It's just the body. And believe me, that contemplation works. Um, and, and the monks use it quite a bit. In fact, uh, it's, it's part of the, um, as, as my, I might have mentioned the first um, uh, week, it's part of the, um, uh, the, the ceremony. What's, what's, what's it called? The um, yeah, initiation ceremony of the monks. Yeah, that, that, the, that recitation of the 32 parts of the body because it becomes such an important uh, contemplation for them. That is part of the ceremony. So speaking of antidotes, okay, now let's come to speaking of uh, desire. It's not just lust, but also sensual, also desire of, of say, um, um, say if, if you have a, um, um, a um, I don't know, if, if, you, um, if you have a binge eating habit, right, and, and cakes are particular objects of desire, maybe contemplating what is not so attractive, what's not so, so desirable, but instead of seeing, seeing it this amazing, you know, delicious, wonderful, well, contemplating the opposite. So, so bringing the, the, um, uh, the opposite in. And that also works, actually, with the second hindrance, which is aversion. So instead of, so if you find yourself having ill will or anger towards someone, if you keep thinking about how awful they have been and how they have done injustice to you, etc., well, it's going to continue to feed your anger. So a couple of things to do. One is just noticing that you're angry, which is, as I mentioned, just bringing attention to it. And, and with anger um, especially, um, it's... Um, Let's see, where, where did I have the notes on that? Um, with anger especially, um, the, um, uh, the, the story in the mind uh, gives, gives rise to uh, adrenaline in the body. So the more adre- adrenaline is, is re- uh, released. And as more adrenaline is released in the body, one gets more angry. So it becomes a vicious cycle. So by just noticing that you, that one is angry and has ill will, and just holding that, oh, I'm angry, holding that in awareness, it stops the vicious cycle. So that would be one antidote. The other antidote is bringing the opposite. So, and what would the opposite be? Thinking about the good qualities of that person, which might be really hard when you're angry at them, but it's not impossible. It's definitely not impossible. I can attest to that. I, I've done that, and it works pretty amazingly well. When you start to think about um, what kind things they have done for you, perhaps, what kind actions they have done for others, that they too are a human being, that they um, have people they care about, um, that there are people who care about them, and also seeing the common humanity, that just like you, they suffer, just like you. They're in the same boat of humanity. Just like you, they have difficulties in their life. So bringing really conscious thought uh, of loving kindness and compassion as an antidote to ill will is is a way to work with it. Um, for, For sloth and torpor, 
uh, Tina and Mida, um, the recommendation is to bring in clarity of cognition. And that could be construed in two ways. One is to literally bring in light, which would be opening the eyes and bringing light in. Or if it's, if it's very intense, it's not just during the sit here and it continues. You, you go out, you, you look at the sky and you let a lot of light in. Uh, the way to construe that figuratively is to bring more energy, to, 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 to bring more interest to the mind by bringing, um, bringing interest um, so that could happen by changing the object of your meditation. Say if you were doing breath meditation and you're getting really, really sleepy, you can choose to change the object of the meditation. Then you can go maybe to something more open, maybe sound, listen to sounds, or, uh, or, or another contemplation, maybe uh, Buddha Nusati, contemplating the, the qualities, the good qualities of the Buddha. So it's something more active, something more active in the mind. Actually, the sound would all scratch that. The sound would be kind of open. That, that would, that would uh, also put you to sleep. But something much more active, something, something more investigative would be a way to bring energy to the mind. Um, other ways would be to, uh, to um, uh, do walking meditation, to get up, uh, and open your eyes. So there are a lot of ways to bring in energy uh, to, to counteract uh, the sloth and torpor. Um, for restlessness and worry, um, you, if those come up, in addition to what we just talked about, which would be just bringing attention to it, that, oh, I'm restless, oh, I'm restless, instead of just continuing to go with that energy of thinking, okay, when is the bell going to ring? Okay, okay, fine. Is it, you know, instead of just feeding those thoughts in the mind, just noticing, ah, this is just restless energy. This is just restless energy. It comes and, and it goes away and it passes away. Um, so and, and an antidote for, for that would be, actually, any guesses? What have you tried? What do you think would work? <laughs> okay, I'm going to make some suggestions. So, in the, so, so, so leading. So, so, so the previous one, slothness and torpor, right? In the mind, there is this heaviness, right? There is this heaviness, lack of energy. So the antidote would be to bring more energy to the mind and body, right? Okay. Now we're talking about restlessness, where there is too much energy in the mind and the body. So what do you think would be the opposite? Calm the mind, exactly, to calm the mind, exactly. So what would be one practice that usually calms the mind? Breathing, yeah, exactly, the breath meditation. And also, specifically, as you were saying, um, so this this is a trick, not so much a trick, but, but a way to practice, is um, putting your attention in your abdomen when you breathe tends to calm you down, tends to, to settle the energy. If you bring the attention to the nostrils or the chest, that happens to invigorate and wake you up. Experiment with that. It really works especially the, the bringing attention to the abdomen and the settling energy, it works really well. And, and the deeper breath, as you were mentioning, to just to settle the mind.
uh, a few breaths intentionally and then just going back to noticing the breath actually what what would be best to do so um, so another suggestion recommendation um, is is um, ethical conduct so um, what usually comes up and could be the reason for remorse is remembering, oh, I shouldn't have done this, I shouldn't have said that, I should have done this. So by actually really watching our ethical conduct off the cushion, it's one way to have more settledness um, on the cushion and in practice and better sleep too. So um, the case of doubt being the last one, um, Again, in addition to bringing attention to it, uh, um, the uh, the recommendation is to contemplate what is skillful and what is not skillful. Because when there is doubt in the mind, there's often this sense of unclarity about uh, what's right, what's wrong. Um, uh, there's just a sense of fogginess. What, what was it, it? Basically, that it was the. Um, uh, the 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 water that was dark and muddy there is a there's there's a muddiness to the water so so bringing contemplation of what is wholesome what is unwholesome what is skillful and what is unskillful is one of the recommendations and also um, overcoming the doubt through investigation uh, not blind faith there is not a really uh, good place in Buddhism for blind faith but with really investigation of of what um, uh, of, of really bringing investigative wisdom to 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 whatever there is doubt about, and for all of these, a strong anti-donor recommendation for off the cushion is to actually have a um, good friend whom you can talk to and could serve as your uh, bouncing board. So there is a great example story about this from the suttas um, that I want to share with you. Um, so it's the passage from Anguttara Nikaya where um, Anuruddha explains to his friend Sariputta that despite concentrat- uh, concentrative attainments, unshaken energy, and well-established mindfulness he's still unable to break through to full realization. So he's talking to his friend. He's saying, you know, even though I've got all these accomplishments, I can concentrate and, and I have um, unshaken energy, unshaken, uh, uh, unshakable energy and well-established mindfulness, I can still not break through to full realization. And Sariputta points out, being a good friend, being, being a wise friend, points out that actually your boasting of your concentration is a manifestation of conceit. And your unshaken energy is simply restlessness. And the concern about not having awakened is just a manifestation of worry. And when he hears that, he realizes that the hindrances were at work for him and that way by actually seeing them clearly that helps him break through to realization. So I cannot stress enough the value of having friends who can call you out 
You know, when you actually go and say, wow, you know, I had this amazing experience or meditative experience, I say, is there attachment there? Right? And for you to actually be open and accept that instead of being reactive to it and saying, oh, they're just feeling jealous about my, you know, concentrative powers. Like, actually, you know, it, maybe there is attachment there. Wow, maybe, maybe, maybe they're right. So, um, I encourage you to, to if, you, if you already have these spiritual friendships, these, these friends who can be your wise counsel and, and, um, and give you feedback, give you really honest feedback and ask them to give you honest feedback and for you to be open um, to it, non-reactive and really take with the points that they give you um, and, and investigate them. It's, it's, I, I found it very, very helpful. So, um, so with that, um, let's see. I'd like to move on to talking about the five aggregates. It was just so much fun to talk about the hindrances for a long time. Okay, well, in a few minutes left, we'll talk about the aggregates. Um, so, the aggregates. So, what are the aggregates? I'm sure you've heard about this many, many times. But um, so the aggregates are made up, uh, they're basically known as the five heaps, the five things, the five khandhas. Uh, there is form or body. That's the coarsest one. That's the first one. There is feeling tone or vedana. Uh, there is mental formations. Uh, uh, actually, if I go in order, there's sanya which is perception, uh, which is the faculty that recognizes what's what. So, so when you hear, for example, a, a bird, you know it is a bird. You recognize that as a bird. Um, then there is sankaras or volitional formations. And finally, there's consciousness. Uh, so these are the heaps, the five heaps. And um, Buddhism has a phenomenological view of the world. So, your ex- so it defines the experience of life, the experience as a human being, to be made up of just these, the experience of these five factors. There's nothing outside of these in terms of being human. It's just these five. Um, and the sankharas or mental formations, actually I, I left that unclear, as made up of all the thoughts, habits, ideas, opinions, all the mental factors are just thrown into that bin. So, um, so the particular contemplation that is recommended um, for um, for for this um, is um, to uh, for for the five um, for the five khandhas is to see their arising and passing away. So basically to see the impermanence, the arising and passing away. Um, which actually reminds me, sorry, I want to pause and go back uh, for a moment to the hindrances because I realized I didn't give you the recipe. I talked a lot about the hindrances, but the recipe that I promised earlier that I would tell you, I realized I didn't give you, and that's really important. I shouldn't finish the, thought, the talk before giving you the recipe. So... Um, the recipe is this, basically. Uh, and I'm going out of order, so where, where am I? Gosh, 
This is going to be very interesting to find now. Um, well, uh, so so basically, it's this. Uh, first of all, to recognize to recognize that the hindrance is there. That's the first part, and we talked about that quite a bit. Okay, and then the second part is this. The second stage of the contemplation is this: if it has arisen, if the hindrance has arisen, to to investigate the conditions that led to its arising. Okay. If um, actually, if it's arising, actually, let me change the language because it's be, so if it's arising, see the conditions that lead to its arising. If it has arisen already, to investigate what conditions can lead to its removal. And the third one is, if it's not there, if the hindrance is not there, to investigate the conditions that can avoid it from arising. So to summarize it very briefly is diagnosis, cure, prevention. Right. So, I have a question? Uh, yeah, so is it a personal neurodisorder? Um, does one contemplate that? So, so uh, clarify what you mean. Let's, let's, uh, let's, let's, yeah, yeah, huh? If there was a s- scenario where there is, appears to be no cure... Oh, sorry, let, me, let me clarify what I'll, the cure means here. Yeah, thank you. Just wonder what you meant by that. Right, yeah, the cure, the cure was the second one, really. If it has arisen, how... How can it be removed? How can it go away? How can the hindrance, uh, what are the conditions that would m- make the hindrance go away? And that's, if, that's, that's the quote-unquote cure. And if there appear to be, after investigation, no answers on investigating, does one contemplate that? or? Um, it, yeah, it's keep investigating, right? It's it's it's. Uh, um, I would like to ask you more, and and I'm happy to talk with you afterwards, because usually upon investigation and and given the various uh, suggestions as to how to uh, to contemplate how these specific things could be could could go away, bringing the antidote as we talked about. Uh, being clarity, bringing clarity of the mind, etc. It's, it's. I think there, there are ways. So, so if if it still feels sticky, maybe there's something else at work. Maybe it's not the hindrance itself. And I'm happy to talk, to talk with you afterwards. Yeah. I, I I'm just wondering if the question is related to something else, which is the difference between pain and suffering. Mm-hmm. So the pain will happen. It may be just an unavoidable thing. It just is. The pain is, right? The suffering part of it is what you choose to do with it, right? Accepting that it's there. And then what do you choose to do with it? The pain's never going to go away. But the suffering part of it, that's what we try to kind of work with, right? Is that related in some way? Yeah, it is. And I'm glad you brought that up because I was specifically just talking about the hindrances and the removal of the hindrances, not the removal of pain and suffering. And that, that's an entirely different, different discussion, and, and that ta- speaks to what you brought up. So, so that's why I was saying that if you think there's no way to remove it, what is it? Is it the conditions for the, the, the suffering, or is it the conditions for the hindrances, or what? And we can talk about that more afterwards. Yeah. 
I just wanted to ask quickly about um, the antidote for, um, was it remorse and, and, and worry? Um, I think you said it was ethical conduct. Is that it? Um, so worry and remorse are my like number one hindrance. Um, I spend a lot of time with that. Mm-hmm. And I guess I just didn't, maybe I could use more clarification as, as sure. to how that works because I feel like thinking about like I would worry. I mean, that's what I'm worrying about, right? Yeah. Like whether I did the right thing. Right, so then, right, yeah. thinking about that yeah. just eggs me off. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. Thanks for bringing that up. Thank so, you. so, so that was a shorthand, and 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 basically each each of the topics we talked about could be a whole hour to talk about. So I'm glad you brought that up because uh, that that was sort of a monastic recommendation, monastic code of how to deal with that. So, so in daily life, um, the the. Um, uh, the, the, the regret, I mean, the, the biggest, <clears throat> I think the biggest antidote to that and the biggest way <clears throat> to work with that is, <clears throat> is self-forgiveness, is really self-forgiveness. Realizing that at the time you did the best you possibly could. And if there, if there are things you can actually do in order to, to, to set things straight, if there are things that you can actually really do to, to set things straight, great. But, but, um, say if the person has passed away and there's no way to go back and apologize and then forgive yourself and realize you've done the best you possibly could and by bringing in self-compassion and really forgiving yourself you allow yourself now to be free and to do the best you can otherwise you'll be in this prison of, of difficulty and hatred and, and then it's hard to, to do good deeds moving forward yeah Sure. So it's nine o'clock, and there's so much more we can talk about in terms of, my goodness, hindrances, and, and I didn't really cover it. But anyway, it, I hope it was of some use. And there'll, there's another session next week, so maybe we'll talk more about it next time. So thanks so much for your attention and feedback. Thank you.